Now, if you are Venezuela, Saudi Arabia or BP, the year has not started well. Something extraordinary has been happening to the oil price. This is what a crash looks like. An oil market collapsed from 100... Oil prices have collapsed. The International Energy Agency says we're drowning in crude, which raises the question, how can those in the business community keep their heads above water? Mr. Gage, you are now putting another billion dollars of your own money uh, into green innovation. Well, the returns will come uh, partly through the benefits to society, and so... Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. Today, we're here to announce America's Clean Power Plan, a plan two years in the making, and the single most important step America has ever taken in the fight against global climate change. But I am convinced that no challenge pose a greater threat to our future. Hello, I'm Sam Ori, Executive Director here at the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago and host of our new Off the Charts Energy Podcast. Now at the University of Chicago, as you might imagine, we love our data and we love our charts. That's why we're bringing you analysis of today's top energy trends and policies grounded in the latest evidence off the charts. Today we're going to talk about uncertainty, specifically policy uncertainty and how it impacts business decisions and innovation. Uh, earlier this year, as many of you probably know, out there in, uh, in sort of uh, energy land, the Supreme Court halted implementation of a key component of President Obama's climate strategy, the Clean Power Plan. Along with being a major blow to advocates, climate scientists, and a host of others, many are arguing that it could also be a blow to business and to, and to business investment. And so here to explain why is Tom Covert, an assistant professor at the Booth School of Business. Uh, Tom, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's get right into it. So you have a piece uh, that's, that's uh, up today in Forbes and talking about policy uncertainty uh, and the impact on the energy industry and on investment. So talk a little bit about how the, the Supreme Court stay impacts business investment and in the uh, electricity industry in particular. So I think the, the principal thing we want to be thinking about with the court stay uh, is the fact that it, uh, it leaves a bunch of energy investors uh, and a bunch of uh, energy consumers uh, a bit of a lurch. They don't know whether or not uh, there's going to be a future demand for, for cleaner power that's sort of mandated by, by the federal government or if there's going to be uh, less demand for that. And, you know, the, the, only, the only demand there will be is the sort of stuff that comes up naturally from people wanting uh, cleaner power uh, on their own. Um, if it turns out that the clean power plan is going to, in fact, be enforced, then there, there, there will be the sort of strong demand for stuff. And if not, um, if not, a lot of the projects that that uh, that investors might like to might like to put together might not necessarily be profitable. So there's a there's a sort of big sort of binary event that uh, that that sort of power buyers and power sellers have to sort of think about um, and try to speculate about the outcome of before they can sort of make these investments. And so, what kind of uh, what kind of I guess. Reactions have we seen so far? How are people reacting to the to the uncertainty uh, in the industry? Well, I think that um, one of the things that's that's probably true is that uh, is that a lot of the um, existing investor base, uh, uh, their plans for for expansion in say solar and wind plants in the United States and possibly sort of new gas capacity, uh, not necessarily on hold at this point, but I would expect a lot of investors are probably starting to think about whether or not they're sort of you know two five year two to five year plans. Um, might need to, you know, might need to be revised or might need to be put off until they sort of get a little bit more, um, a little bit more clarity uh, for for for, uh, 
or the sort of the the state and federal incentives for those projects. Um, I think on the on the consumer side again, there's going to be a, a similar type of 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 uh, of of hold off perhaps um, with with big power buyers, uh, maybe waiting a little bit to decide whether or not they want to buy today, uh, or um, or whether or not they, they want to wait to see if the Supreme Court might uh, 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 give a little bit more clarity. And so, you know, in the energy industry, I guess sort of across the energy industry, you have so many uh, sort of long-lived assets. Investments tend to last a long time. And so, you know, companies are really making a big commitment when they invest. Uh, you talk a little bit in your piece about the fact that this, is, this kind of uncertainty is such a killer for investment. It's so, um, you know, it's so undermining that in fact you actually have had a, a group of power companies that serve 19 states uh, and operate a huge amount of generating capacity, um, basically file a court motion in support of the Clean Power Plan, making this argument that the uncertainty is so is so problematic. That's right. So I think there's two things going on there. Um, one is that if you're a power company that's serving, uh, that, that's serving customers uh, in a regulated utility, um, you have a sort of natural incentive to want this kind of certainty uh, because it it helps you. It helps you plan out uh, what kinds of investments you're going to make and how you're going to pitch that case to your, the public utility commissions. Definitely the case that, that power companies in, in in these in these regulated states probably would prefer to see a, a clean power plan come up and give them the opportunity to make uh, some more investments that they could build into their rate base. But even outside of those uh, sort of uh, regulated utilities, some of the, some power companies are going to be um, in states where there already is a decent number of uh, renewable assets or. Or, or gas assets, and they, they might actually be looking forward to, to making those businesses more competitive. Um, and so uh, the the uncertainty that's coming up from this uh, from the stay of the clean power plan is, is might might actually make it harder for, for those for those uh, for those businesses to to justify the kinds of investments they might like to make. And so is the is the uncertainty such a drawback that really you know even if you might not necessarily be uh, in favor of the clean power plan itself, you're really saying. Uh, just let us know. We we need to really know what the environment is going to be, one way or the other. This sort of like lack of ability to plan, one way or the other. There's definitely the- that. So you know, if if you're if you're in a, in a in a market with a sort of a growing power demand, so you know for a fact you're going to need more power plants. Um, uncertainty about what are going to be the sort of uh, cost-effective plants to build, sort of conditional on environmental regulations, is 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 a big pain because. Um, and in the event that the clean power plan goes through, you're going to need that that new capacity to be cleaner. In the event that the clean power plan doesn't go through, you know you don't you might not necessarily want to spend the money on on sort of cleaner capacity. So there are definitely going to be situations in which uh, the uh, uncertainty about this uh, would be worse than say no policy. I think overall though, um, you, you've got you've you basically got camp, camps that are sort of you know sort of pro clean power plan and anti clean power plan, and they'd all sort of take the position that either this uncertainty is bad and really what we want is that it gets resolved and this it gets resolved positively or it gets resolved negatively and sort of depends on uh, what state you're in and what kind of assets you you build and you know are you somebody who sells coal or something like that right. now there's we have good evidence over the last several decades uh, I guess probably market evidence and also uh, research and academic evidence that really shows the impact that uncertainty can have on investment and so there's this kind of you know uh, there's this famous case of the PTC which you talk a little bit about yep. and the impact that uncertainty and that policy and uncertainty in particular had on uh, investments in new wind generating capacity year over year and it's pretty stark yep yeah so so let me let me let me respond to that in two ways so the first the first thing I'll, I'll note is that there's uh, in the last 10 or 15 years in the economics community, we've ha- we've had uh, an explosion of sort of useful, um, carefully done empirical research about the effects of uncertainty on investment and other business activities like hiring uh, and expansion. And uh, that 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 kind of work looks at um, some some market based measures of uncertainty, 
uh, say like volatility on uh, on stock options covering the S&P 500 index or volatility on um, on important commodities like a like like a, like crude oil for example um, and that that kind of work uh, has found that in periods of higher uncertainty um, businesses tend to do less investment they tend to do less hiring um, and so uh, there's there definitely is some kind of there's some kind of important empirical link between uh, things uh, sort of relevant measures of uncertainty and relevant measures of sort of real business activity. Um, in the energy space, especially, there's there's some very good examples of this, uh, and you can sort of uh, you can you can see this uh, especially in the timing of when oil and gas wells get drilled. So when oil prices are more volatile, uh, meaning that there is a uh, that there is a good chance that those prices could go up, or there's also a good chance that those prices could go down, or sort of better higher chances of, of either of those things happening. Um, you actually see oil and gas companies wait a little bit uh, to to sort of to sink their first well or sink their second well into a property, uh, and that's entirely rational. When when, when volatility goes up, you actually have a, have a greater incentive to wait for uh, sort of more favorable conditions because the probability that those favorable conditions arrive tomorrow is higher when you've got more volatility than when you've got less volatility. Um, so the, the sort of empirical evidence on this stuff is, is, is sort of uh, pretty well established and it's both general sort of in the sort of the macro sense as well as sort of specific to the, uh, there's some good specific examples in, in the energy business. Now one, uh, one, one thing you brought up uh, that I think is also pretty interesting is the sort of uh, recent uh, experience uh, our country's had with the production tax credit uh, for wind um, and the uncertainty around that. Um, I don't know how much you know about the history of this, but uh, Congress uh, has had something like a production tax credit uh, since the early 90s, um, but for, for whatever reason, uh, Congress decided at the time they only authorized it for one to two years at a time. And so there were lots of episodes in which uh, there was a production, production tax credit available, um, and then it would expire at the end of the year, and there, there in fact, were even some, some time periods in which, uh, in which the, the tax credit expired, um, and, and there were... And, People developing wind farms uh, weren't actually sure whether or not they would sort of uh, be able to get that. Now, ex post, every time Congress uh, went ahead and um, uh, let let the thing expired, when they subsequently reauthorized it, they always grandfathered in any plant that was uh, that was uh, unlucky enough to be built during the sort of lapse of the PTC. So it's not like, it's, it's not as if the uh, you know ostensibly the the policy debate at times when it expired was well you know this is expensive can we really afford this but at the end of the day we didn't really save any taxpayer dollars and all we really did was undermine yeah. investment yeah so i think i think there's 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 a, an important philosophical question that might be sort of above our pay grade which is you know whether or not society intended for that uh, tax credit to exist continuously but empirically it has turned out that there has always been a tax credit you know between sometime in early 1994 and the end of 2014 um and uh, the sort of the ex post uncertainty we got out of that from the fact that it uh, was allowed to expire several times or that it was not oftentimes reauthorized until a few days before um, it, was, it was going to expire um, had some pretty unfortunate consequences uh, for investment in the wind industry. Um, and this sort of leads us to, I think, the, the, the big chart that, uh, that you know, we probably talk about today, which is, um, uh, which, which is one that sort of shows the, uh, the pace of, of uh, new investment in wind plants in the United States over the last 20 or so years. Um, if you look at this, if you look at this chart um, and uh, draw lines when the PTC is either about to expire and actually does expire or when there's a sort of near miss. So when the PTC uh, is only reauthorized with a, you know, a few, a few weeks or a few months uh, before expiration, um, you see a huge run up in investment uh, right up before the sort of expiration, which you'd sort of rationally expect. You know, if you're an investor and you think that there's a pretty good chance this credit isn't going to exist tomorrow, then you sort of rush to sort of get projects done, even if it means it's going to cost more or they're not going to be as uh, constructed as efficiently. Um, and then there's a huge crater in investment after after the expiration happens or after these near misses actually happen. Um, and so that's sort of one way that you can actually 
see the real effects of of policy uncertainty on on the energy business is that uh, there's these you know these sort of excess volatility in the sort of investment market for wind that uh, you know I think ex post we would say probably was unwarranted. And does it have does the uh, does the uncertainty around this what sort of impact does it have on access to capital for these companies? So I haven't uh, recently talked to any wind developers about this. Um, it is definitely the case that uh, that it, uh, since since this tax credit, the production tax credit, is is a central part of the you know, financial viability of many of these projects. Um, it's definitely going to be the case that uh, that a bank, you know, maybe providing some debt finance to one of these projects or uh, an, an equity tax invest investor looking to capture uh, some some of the proceeds from the from those from those tax credits. Uh, it would be I would be surprised if if they weren't sort of more cautious and you know increased their their lending standards or or waited to, to to hear whether or not these projects these 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 tax credits would get reauthorized um, when projects came around. So, um, without you know better data, we can't say sort of more than that. But it, you know, I think it seems it seems pretty sensible to assume that um, that the that the financing cost of project goes up as you get closer to these expiration dates. And that's probably a big part of why sort of uh, now going forward with the extension of the PTC for five years, this is really being heralded as such a sort of policy breakthrough and the potential to really catalyze massive investments in, in wind and also uh, and also other renewables. Yeah, that's right. So so uh, in December of last year, Congress reauthorized the PTC for an unprecedented five years. It also sort of came as a bit of a surprise. I think that many people in the industry weren't expecting that to happen. Uh, five years of PTC, um, although I, I believe it does, it does, um, the, the, the generousness of the credit does sort of fall a bit over time, but sort of having five years of you know certainty as opposed to one or two years of certainty um, is probably gonna is probably gonna make it a lot easier for a lot, for a lot more wind plants to get built, um, and because it's easier, you know, we'd expect the financing costs to go down, um, which is going to mean ultimately uh, that these projects get built less expensively and it'll sort of lower impact on people's power bills um, when they when those when those projects come online. So it is it's it's sort of, we're sort of entering new territory in that sense. Uh, we don't we, we can't even you know fathom you know exactly what it'll do, um, but I suspect it'll probably make uh, mean a lot more wind and a lot less expensive wind than the wind we got before. And so uh, you know the power industry I think is is one really good example, and this is uh, you know this is a good example of policy uncertainty uh, that that's impacting potentially the power industry. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty right now in in the energy industry and energy markets in general. Uh, if you look to oil markets. Uh, realized volatility uh, over the last, uh, you know, uh, decade or so. You look to um, earlier this year in February, realized volatility, I think, was the highest it had been since the financial crisis and, you know, pretty substantial. And uh, so, you know, how, how do we think about, I mean, it's uh, this sort of era of uncertainty that we're in right now. It's not just about power markets. I actually had a, a, a CEO of a, of a major uh, U.S. commercial airline carrier uh, say at a, at, a, at a meeting that we were hosting a few years ago that, you uh, you know, he could run an airline, a profitable airline at $30 oil, and he could run a profitable airline at $130 oil. Uh, they'd look like very different airlines. They'd have very different business strategies, but that what was, you know, really difficult for them was to operate a profitable airline when oil was $50 one day and, you know, $75 a month later yeah. and then back to 50 and then to 100. That's and right. So, you know, it's really, and, and it seems to me that, you know, there's been some, you know, maybe potentially structural changes in some of these markets and oil markets in particular that sort of argue for potentially higher volatility going forward. Yeah, so that's that, that's a great point. So, um, you know, I think what, what this airline executive is referring to is the fact that, uh, you know, fuel is going to be a big part of their expenses, the same way that fuel is a big part of uh, the expense of operating, uh, you know, a, a car you might own. Um, and if you don't have a good sense for what those expenses are going to be when you have to make a sort of long-term decision, you know, like what should my airline's business strategy be or what kind of car should I choose to buy, um, it's hard to it, it's hard to actually make those decisions. And oftentimes you're going to make sort of less efficient decisions because of all that sort of uncertainty. Um, 
you know, you sort of point out that, you know, now there's, there are some interesting structural uh, or potentially interesting structural changes to the business uh, or to the, the oil and gas business uh, in the form of uh, sort of a surge in production in North America coming from these, these, uh, these, these uh, tight oil and tight gas reservoirs or, you know, shale oil and shale gas. Um, and the sort of the, the, the sense in which they represent a structural change is not that it's a new source of supply, um, it's that it's a new source of supply that, uh, that, is, that is large in magnitude, but built up from lots and lots of sort of small um, independent um, producers uh, who, who, who are not necessarily going to be able to sort of coordinate their activities and, you know, increase production or decrease production in the same way that, you know, you know OPEC might have done in the past. Um, I was at a conference uh, a few months ago uh, in which, some, in which uh, it, it, was, it was argued that the new marginal, bail, or marginal uh, barrel in the U.S. oil and in, in, the, in the world oil market is not Saudi Arabia or any other OPEC member, but actually sort of U.S. shale. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, how, how, much, uh, how much faith we should put into that sort of particular idea that it is really the case that, you know, uh, shale investors in the United States are the ones who are, you know, adding or subtracting barrels, uh, you know, as prices move around. But it is definitely the case that uh, there is a new source of supply that, uh, that can respond uh, somewhat quickly uh, on the upside, you know, as prices move up uh, and, uh, and faster uh, than, than, than sort of similar investors in the U.S. would have been able to respond in, in the past. And it's, it seems like it's also probably the case that based on the investment decisions they've made so far, or I should say the production decisions they've made so far, that Saudi Arabia and other members of OPEC don't really have as many marginal barrels. Uh, it's a little opaque, but it's yeah. very possible that we're kind of shifting from this world of having a sort of a you know, maybe ineffective at times, but nonetheless present market manager to now, uh, in, you know, inventories will sort of be the inventories and in, in the short term and then in the medium term, U.S. shale might be sort of the, the marginal barrel. And that does that that does potentially seem to argue for some possibly increased volatility. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's, it's it's hard to know whether or not um, what what the Saudis and what OPEC in general uh, has done recently is a consequence of a sort of. Uh, uh, a change in their ability to do that or a change in their willingness to do that. Um, and it could could be the case that uh, what the Saudis are doing relative to the, the assets they actually have is totally rational, you know, because we don't have excellent data on, you know, what they actually have underground and, um, you know, how much of it there is and, you know, how long they expect it to last. We, we won't really ever know that for sure. Um, but an era of, you know, permanently higher oil price volatility for sure uh, seems plausible, especially um, just with the growth of shale. Um, and it'll be really interesting to, to, to see how, you know, how that could play out um, in terms of the long-lived investments that you sort of brought up earlier. So, um, you know, oil is not as big of a deal in power in the United States as it may be in some other countries, but uh, oil, oil price volatility for sure uh, ought to affect uh, long-term decisions like, you know, what kind of car you should buy, how efficient the planes, uh, you know, planes and airlines should buy, you know, what kinds of routes pl- uh, airlines ought to be flying, and, you know, how, you know, how they should be thinking about uh, ways of, of premium pricing and that sort of thing. So, um more volatility for sure is going to is going to lead to some some important changes in, in these long term decisions. And as you said, it's not just for it's not just for producers; it's for consumers. And yes, that could cause uh, you know sort of significant, I guess, underinvestment in things like efficiency potentially. That's um, right. On the production side, it sounds like uh, I have the sense that there's good academic literature on you know that sort of supports the argument that drillers will you know. Uh, postpone investment in, in the next well and in, in the you know in the next marginal well uh, in a given play based on uncertainty. I mean, what does that? I don't know. How does that impact U.S. production over the long term? Um, well, it's not clear that a, that a, that it's it sort of it's a, it's a permanent delay or a, a permanent uh, destruction of, of, of an investment that's ultimately going to happen. Um, the the literature on this that that is that is uh, that is pretty convincing in my opinion. Uh, sort of shows that. Um, 
when you think about the problem that uh, that the owner of a, of a drilling opportunity faces, uh, this person has, you know, let's say they, they've they've got some mineral rights and they, they know for sure that there's that there's oil underneath those mineral rights, probably because they own they own the, the acres next door. Uh, that that firm has to decide when they want to drill that well, um, and obviously they'd rather drill in high prices than drill in low prices because you know wells are going to only produce oil for a finite amount of time, and they'd rather sort of be producing in you know more time periods of high prices than a low prices. Um, but the sort of the challenge there is thinking about what is that right price to sort of drill at. Um, and uh, you can, it's not necessarily going to be the case that you want to drill exactly when, you know, the, the, the well just breaks even uh, because there's a chance that oil prices could go up in the future. And if they go up in the future, then by waiting a little bit, you actually might make some more money. And so the question is, what is that sort of cutoff price? When should you be, um, when should you be saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the, rill on, the, the rig on site and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill the well? And uh, there's a lot of sort of economics theory and now sort of decent uh, economics empirical evidence supporting the idea that uh, that cutoff price, the sort of the price level which you ought to be willing to drill that next well, uh, is going to be increasing in the volatility of oil prices. So if oil prices are higher, uh, you actually want to wait until you, you want to wait for them to sort of reach a higher point um, to drill than you would if oil prices are lower, simply because um, at that lower price in a high volatility environment, there's a good chance that by waiting, you could actually sort of make money. Um, and so that's something that sort of bears out pretty well in the data. If you look at um, when wells in Texas are drilled, they sort of uh, they, they, they tend to be drilled um, at higher prices, conditional on volatility being higher than they do um, when volatility is lower. Hmm. And so, okay, so it seems to me, I guess, throughout this conversation, we've been kind of mixing policy uncertainty yes. with market uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they're probably different, I, although I will say that... Uh, so yesterday we had a uh, we had a talk here at Epic uh, with a uh, with uh, Ricky Rivez, who's a, a professor of law at NYU, and and you know he argued in the, in a similar context to the Clean Power Plan, talking about uh, uh, clean air regulations in the U.S. that um, you know that plants and and uh, investors face market uncertainty, and that we often so sort of put a uh, put a premium on policy uncertainty and, and, and that we argue that, you know, policy uncertainty is somehow worse. And he was kind of arguing that we should be careful with that, that there, it's not necessarily worse, um, that uncertainty is uncertainty. That's I'm right. not sure that that's the case. That's right. But I agree. So, what? so, so it's definitely the case that, that in the, the, the theory tradition in economics that we try to, we try very hard to separate out some notions from risk of risks from uncertainty. So, um, you would typically think about, uh, say oil price volatility is something that's more about risk, a sort of thing that you know is true, um, you, you sort of, you know, if oil prices are a certain price level today, there's a, you know, there's some probability distribution over the set of prices you could sort of face tomorrow. Um, and, you know, what you're going to find out is what price you're going to be at, but not necessarily what is that distribution. Uh, the notion of uncertainty is that you might not necessarily know what that sort of, you know, what that sort of uh, probability distribution is for oil prices in the future. And whenever we talk about policy uncertainty, we're much more thinking about the sort of notion of uncertainty that uh, there is going to be either a clean power plant or there won't be a clean power plant, but there's no useful data for us to sort of look in the past and and uh, estimate what that, that sort of probability that, it, that the clean power plant actually happens. Uh, uh, it's, 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 there, there's no way to sort of use past experience to make some sort of guesses as to the likelihood as to whether or not the clean power plan will play out the same way that you, you know, we would use uh, past oil price data to sort of make some guesses as to uh, what oil prices might be tomorrow. Um, now, uh, to the extent that those two forces at risk, you know, so oil price volatility, let's say, versus uncertainty, like the clean power plan or whether or not the PTC will be renewed, uh, to the extent that those two things uh, affect investment differently, I think is still being sort of worked out on the theory side of um, the, this economic debate. Um, 
but uh, either way, they they sort of both seem to imply some kind of notion of of waiting. So, in, in a, if you've got more uncertainty about about a, about a, about uh, whether or not a policy is going to change, or if you've got if you think that prices are going to be more volatile, uh, both of those things sort of will push you into the the direction of of wanting to wait to sort of make that to sort of make that decision. It seems like. Uh I think the reason that people put a premium on the policy certainty is just this idea that we should have set rules of the game yeah. and that everyone should know what the rules of the game are. Um, and that if you're going to change the rules, there should sort of be advanced warning. And yeah. you, you can only control so much. You obviously can't control uh, in a market economy. You know, you can't control the prices. You can't control those, you know, the inputs. Um, but People you should, try all the time. But. They try all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you can't really, you know, uh, but, or, but you can control sort of the rules of the game. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think, I think you sort of raise a sort of a good question, which is, which is, um, which is, uh, to the extent that people are going to disagree about what the rules of the game ought to be. So there's, there are people who are in favor of the clean power plan and there are those who are opposed to the clean power plan. Um, you know, how, how quickly should those agreements sort of be resolved? And uh, if, if, if it takes a longer time for those agreements, for those disagreements to be resolved, uh, you know, what does that do to sort of the efficiency of investment? And I think, I think um, you know, my, my gut feel here is, and to the extent that we can sort of tie those sort of notion of policy uncertainty to, uh, to investment, I think, the, 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 I think it's sensible to conclude that, you know, the longer it takes for these things to get resolved, the more uncertainty that uh, investors and, and, and customers of those investments sort of face, the, the less investment you actually ultimately get. You know, I guess in the policy environment, particularly on the power sector side in the U.S., one question uh, that I have is, do we have, I guess, could you argue that there are so many layers uh, of policy across the states? You have the, you know, the uh, portfolio standards, yep. you have the PTC, you uh -huh. have... Um, you know, so many different factors that, uh, you know, this uncertainty in the clean power plan, it's, it's problematic, but that there's enough, um, there's enough sort of belts and suspenders uh, that, it that, doesn't it, matter. that it might not, well, not that it doesn't matter, but that there's, that there's some limit to amount of the amount that things can sort of, uh, backslide. So I think there's, um, there's a couple ways to look at that. So, so one is that it is definitely the case that, um, that, uh, through through state level incentives or initiatives like renewable portfolio standards, um, some states are you know whether or not the clean power plan happens is not going to affect the sort of the generation the generating stock in, in some states by very much. But there's other states that are sort of very heavy on coal that the clean power plan currently prescribes that those states basically don't become so heavy on coal right. in a you know a relatively short time frame. Um, and so and you know it, so basically the answer is going to be it depends on which state you are right so so places like California New England and you know parts of parts of the Mid Atlantic um, places in the in the Southwest where the, where the solar business is booming it, you know it might not necessarily be the case that the clean power plan uh, ultimately has any any big bite another way in which we might think that the clean power plan might not have a big bite is the fact that gas prices have uh, you know been low for a long time and it looks like the you know Market fundamentals are suggesting that they'll sort of be low for a, a you know for the future. Lower for longer is what they say in the oil market. I think that's uh, that's equally true in gas. At least equally true. At least equally true, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, low gas prices are, are going to accomplish a lot of what the clean power plan sort of wanted to do, um, either by getting a bunch of coal plants to retire because they're sort of currently unprofitable, or by getting those coal plants uh, to consider the possibility of changing their fuel from coal to gas. Um, now the you know. To sort of come back to the, the core question you asked there, though, 
uh, is putting the clean power plan or the uncertainty about the clean power plan on top of a bunch of other incentives. Does that sort of mean that um, because it's already on top of such a, stall, a tall stack, it doesn't necessarily matter? I'm not sure. I mean, it's, even at the margin, the clean power plan does create some uncertainty. Um, and we think that, uh, you know, again, any additional uncertainty probably should lead to a, sl uh, you know, a sort of a, a waiting type phenomenon. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, to the extent that that additional uncertainty doesn't matter, it's going to sort of come about, you know, for these sort of bigger picture issues. Just the fact that you know California already has a ton of solar, it's going to probably have a lot more. Uh, California's goal under the Clean Power Plan wasn't necessarily as stringent as say North Dakota's goal, that sort of thing. Right, yeah. but it is, I guess, it is. Uh, it's sector wide and it's national. Yeah. Unlike the uh, portfolio standards, that's and right. The BTC yep. and other things. It's that's a, right. It's yeah, really yeah. a uh, a broad based sort of uh, like new, you know, sort of rules of the game. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well. Uh, I think this has been fascinating. Got to sort of the, uh, the bottom of some of these issues, and I appreciate your time. Uh, so, you know, I, I think uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the energy, energy industry and lawmakers manage uh, investment and policy goals in this era of heightened uncertainty. Uh, you know, something tells me we're sort of in for a, in for a wild ride. I think so, too. Um, and uh, as, as, as somebody who, who does a little bit of research on uncertainty and who's hoping to collect data on this, I'm sort of rooting for more uncertainty, I guess, in that <laughs> sense. But, but only, in that, only in my professional capacity. Very good. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, please make sure to subscribe to Off the Charts wherever you get your podcasts, including on our website at epic.uchicago.edu. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Sam Ori.